welcome everyone back to a subdued postseason <laughs> version of the broadcast. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online. Coming to you on a Sunday that we were all hoping was going to be a little bit more fun than it is. Uh, joining me, as always, Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you doing on this? And I'm, I'm dropping all pretense. We're publishing this tomorrow, Tracy, but we're recording on Sunday. And how are you doing on this semi-gloomy Sunday? Yeah, I don't have the kind of energy to, to make up that whole time travel kind of thing. No. Um, I gotta, I gotta, I'm pretty resilient when it comes to sports. Like, I'm not, I don't react like I get really high or really low. I'm kind of, I'm pretty even keeled on sports. Oh, I mean, you're just like me. Right? You know, I, no, no, <laughs> not like you. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm very much, you guys, you guys will all be a little shocked. I was, I'm not like super, super fan. I'm, I'm not, I never, it's not in my nature. I will cheer, but I, I mean, there's so many things about being a fan. I just don't get, I don't know how you can ever boo your team that you're that mad. I just, I think that's absurd. I'm, not a super fan. I love I love sports. I love all the. That's why I got into this because I love all the nuance and the details. I find it really interesting and scouting. Love it all. But I gotta say, yeah, this one uh, this one hit me this one hit me pretty hard. And in the whole pantheon here of of disappointing games, this is right up there. And I did not I did not expect it. And before we just you flip the switch, we were talking about it. I think it's it's because the path opened up right here, right for UCLA to have an opportunity to make the Final Four. It wasn't, and it's not even that. Like if you were watching the games since then. So first, obviously, what happened before the UCLA game was St. Peter's knocking off Purdue, and if you'd watched Purdue, I don't think they were great, but really odd and maybe tough matchup for UCLA if they'd had to play them, you know, the seven, four guy down low and all that. So you see that happen and you're like, okay, wow. So if they beat North Carolina, they're more or less a shoe in for the final four. And then watching today, and this is in that kind of rueful mode, you know, watching, watching Kansas yesterday, I mean, watching Villanova yesterday and, uh, they looked good, but then the dude tore his Achilles. Then today, I mean, Kansas blew them out, but Kansas didn't look that good for like the the first like 25 minutes of that game. They had one game where I thought it would have been trouble going forward, and that was Duke. But otherwise, the road was open. Um, yeah, and that's that's the real. And that was kind of why I, when I wrote my recap, that was the first thing that was just like, it's not so much the game itself. I think North Carolina's riding a huge heater right now, and when a guy gets as hot as Caleb Love at the end of that game, it's going to be hard to beat him. Um, but the missed opportunity, like the missed window here, where if, you know, we, we, um, we'll we talk about this in a little bit, but like the, the roster stuff, like the rotations, but also Baycott just drops that ball out of bounds, or Caleb Love is one inch off on one of those threes, UCLA is going to a Final Four with, like, I, I would say as good a chance of anyone as taking taking the whole thing. Yeah, and that's 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 a tough one to swallow. Yeah, kind it, kind of it kind of really is because we've seen. I mean, even though McCronin has taken them to a Final Four last year, and he was like literally one inbound jump ball throwing it in away from probably another Final Four. It's a rare. It's still a rare opportunity to be able to make a Final Four first and then 
as we saw during the Howland era, you can make a Final Four, but you you can happen to time it to where Florida has one of the best teams in <laughs> right, the last right. 15 years. So all of those teams, I think, well, they've beaten Villanova. I, as, I've never been greatly impressed with Kansas all season. I've watched them win every game, but I just don't come away going, you know, wow. No, like they're, there are they're games when coach, I watch but Arizona. I don't see a matchup issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's what I mean. I mean. There were times when, you know, you watch Arizona and you go, wow, how's you see like a matchup against that? And, but then, and Duke, I think if they, if they'd have a chance, if they played a, a, the very good version of that team this year, I think they would beat Duke. Um, just controlling the ball, controlling the pace, not turning it over. Um, I, I uh, the same way they would have beaten North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, so, and, and, yeah. and similar situations too, you know, big big post guy, a power forward who looks like he's kind of a mismatch. Um, they could have played him similar to the way they played North Carolina and likely been in as good position. But, th- but that was the thing. I mean, North Carolina, I think, looking at the way they had been playing coming in, you would have thought maybe a 60-40 game for UCLA. Like, certainly losable. Uh, Duke, I would have felt the same way, 50-50 to 60-40. Um, yeah. But those were the two remaining that I thought, okay, they have a real chance of losing that game. Um, and unfortunately, they lost to North Carolina. Um, I mean, the the game itself, I mean, we, we talked about it a lot. I thought Greg's piece today um, after, you know, <laughs> I write my thing about 30 minutes after the game when I'm, uh, when I'm an open wound. Yeah, uh, Greg's I thought brought some needed perspective because it. it I, I, what is Greg now? Is he some Buddhist monk? What is, is that whole thing about? Zen. He's very Zen. He read. Oh he my read god! Some, he read so some. Zen he read now. some new age stuff, and he's at a new lease on life. I, he's got like a shaved head. He's got an orange little robe he's wearing. And, and even if you don't, if you don't want to assign uh, much to the, uh, the 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 Zen part of the whole thing, I thought his point is a good one, which is from understanding. You, you got to understand, people come into a job with uh, history, baggage, whatever you want to call it. Um, and Cronin's is that he coached the hell out of a bunch of Cincinnati teams that were under-talented, um, that had a bunch of really, really good defenders. But if you look at his history there, uh, he rarely had uh, teams that were effective on offense, um, or at least um, effective at the elite level on offense. Um, I think his best... His best offensive efficiency at Cincinnati was 34th in 2017. Right. And uh, usually if you're trying to win a title, you got to be top 20. Um, and his last two teams at UCLA have been top 20. But he went, you know, at Cincinnati, he had one sweet 16, and the rest was, um, you know, a bunch of uh, round one and round two losses. And when that's the lesson you've learned um, over your history in the tournament, um, it, it, it makes sense that you would take from that, well, I'm going to need quite a bit more offense to advance in the tournament. Um, you know, that's, 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 a, that's a reasonable enough conclusion to draw from history. Um, uh, I, absolutely. I mean, we've now, having done this between you, Greg, and I, I mean, we've been watching coaches and been, you know, in pretty inside – different programs and, and have been around enough coaches to, to, to understand like what Greg wrote that Mick Cronin has been his whole sense 
of what it takes to win has been completely shaped by his experience at Cincinnati. I, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to have, uh, I think it was 16 years at Cincinnati. 16. 13 years at Cincinnati, 13 16 years. years as a coach. Right. And how many years that he made the tournament? Like 11, I think, something like that. Um, yeah. So he made it, yeah, he made it 11 years, his last nine yeah. straight at Cincinnati. So. Uh, just to give you context, I mean, if we've written about this before, Ben Howland was known as a defensive coach. When he got to UCLA, he immediately went to recruit hard-nosed, good athletes who would play defense. Um, and then he sprinkled in a couple of, you know, a Kevin Love here, right? And that took him to three Final Fours. And... Ben came upon the conclusion when he watched those games and he watched Florida's offense, he came up and Memphis, he came upon the conclusion that I have to change my formula. I have to get over the hump. And we've had, we don't know what would have changed that game with North Carolina uh, on Friday, but we've seen enough to maybe take a guess. And always between Hicks and me and you, our conclusion on Ben Howland was that you didn't need to change the formula. If you kept doing what you were doing and kept recruiting those kind of good athletes who can really defend, who play hard, are tough-minded, physically tough, you will eventually get to a Final Four or to an NCAA tournament where your path is open or far a little bit better a clearer path, and you get there, there isn't a Florida or a Memphis staring you down, maybe like this season. Um, but it's hard for those coaches to do that. The best coaches I've ever seen have changed. I mean, that I've been familiar with. Ben Allen was one of the best coaches. He, he's in that category. Um, we, we don't have the enough evidence to conclude on Mick Cronin. Uh, we can say, though, Mick Cronin, I know this, is a very, very good coach. We've said it all season long. We've seen him coach in situations, go into certain matchups uh, with game. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that go into being a good coach. It's the game plan when you're going into the game. It's the in-game adjustments in coaching. It's your development of the players. It's recruiting. Put that all in. And honestly, it's how tough... Uh, there's a lot of other things, but how tough your team is mentally and physically, what kind of team you make them. And then how hard do you want it? <laughs> and how driven are you? And in all of those ways, he ranks very high on, on coaches that we've seen. So we're, we're nitpicking this. And just because we're saying this doesn't mean that Mick Cronin, in my opinion, isn't an excellent coach who will have a good chance to win an NCAA tournament an NCAA championship at UCLA. Yeah, and uh, I would, uh, what I would say is, honestly, he has right now, even acknowledging um, what happened on Friday as, even if you want to say, and I, I think I would say, probably some mistakes were made. Um, the the formula he has right now, I think, is better than what Ben Howland had at his peak. Because um, if you look at those 06 and 07 teams, he wasn't wrong exactly um that the offense needed to be better um because if you look at those teams if you go back in the ken palm numbers they didn't hit 
the formula that you really need to be a title team. Um, they were 31st in offensive efficiency in 06, and they were 27th in 07. Uh, it wasn't until 08 that they actually had the right combination. They had a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense. What were they in defense in those first two years? Uh, they were second um, in 2007, and they were fourth in 2006. And then in, eight, in 08, shockingly, they were fifth um, because Kevin Love, even with the drop-off in other areas, uh, made them a supremely elite defensive rebounding team. Yeah. Um, but the the point is, Cronin right now in his third year has a top 15 offense and a top 15 defense. Whatever your complaints, and I know there are many with his offense and the style of it, the look of it, the aesthetic of it, uh, the reality of it is that it's highly efficient. Um, and, you know, how many of those Ben Halland offenses were, okay, we're going to do a double screen on the baseline, and then it's going to be Aaron Aflalo hitting a three, and that's literally the only option on this play, and if it doesn't happen, we're going to be jacking up an end shot clock three. Yeah, um, Darren Collison takes it one and one right. at the top. Exactly. Um, if, that, if, if, the, if the action didn't go correctly, uh, well, we're screwed. This one, look, it's sometimes it's a little bit rough to watch, but it's – a bunch of pretty good one-on-one scorers, um, you know, getting the ball with 10 seconds, seeing what they can do, and then they kick it to another guy. Then he has 10 seconds to see what he can do. Um, but it works. Uh, it works really well, and it's smart. And the way he coaches it, it's really controlled and smart. Like, they don't turn the ball over, which is more than literally anything else the hallmark of his program right now. Like, they do not give up possessions. Um and- and here's the thing, too. It's not black and white. It's not as if he needs to just put a complete the defensive version of this team on the court. No. That, that's not it. I don't think that's it at all. I think it's, it's just... It's what? What would you have said? Another... Five minutes. Six minutes? Five, like, literally, here's what... My, my ideal for this team this year would not have been too much different from what it was, except um, figure out a way to have a cohesive four or five minutes a half of some combination of Clark or Watson and Johnson on the floor at the same time. Yeah. Because if yes. you did that consistently in each half, I think you spark a run. And I'm with him that you you sacrifice some offense if you're doing that. Like, as much as in my, like, mind's eye, I'm just picturing steal after steal leading to dunk after dunk. That's not the way it would be. And there would be mistakes made on offense if you're playing those guys all the time. But if you play them five minutes together each half, and Johnson, the the biggest critique is that Johnson should have been at minimum splitting with Cody the entire back half of the season, and it tipped a little bit too much in Cody's favor over the last three weeks or so. And and let me t- let's take that first too. Um, this season there have been guys who who carried them from the uh, Cody Riley carried them in a few games. He was playing really well at the end of the season, if you remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Played totally. really well in the tournament. I mean, Johnny Juzang really obviously had the NCAA tournament for the ages. Uh, Jaime Jaquez. All of these guys had major lulls this season, and Mick Cronin let them play through it and come back to the form that they were. I mean, Jaime Jaquez came back to the form he was, Johnny Juzang was getting close to the form, and there was there was pockets in games where he was that guy. The issue is whether you play Cody Riley enough and hope that he would come back to that form, and he he never really did much. And that's where that's a tough decision to make. 
And it only made it really, it, it exacerbated it so much because you had Miles Johnson sitting on the bench and literally when you watched possession after possession, uh, both sides of the court, everyone in their mind who knows what they're watching or is paying attention would say, okay, they drove right into the paint and just laid it in. If Miles Johnson had been standing there, they might not have even taken it into the paint. They would have probably altered their shot with him just standing there, or he would have gone, gone up and blocked it. Something would have happened, right? And then you see how UCLA's defense just didn't have to collapse as much with Miles Johnson sitting in the paint. There was so, so you'd see that, with Cody, and then Miles Johnson would come in, and you'd see that, then he'd go out, and then you'd see them just drive right into the paint. So it was, it was such a vivid illustration of what we saw and why everyone wanted Miles Johnson. So that was a tough thing to try to process. Yes. Um, because you're waiting for, you know, he was waiting for the guy who helped him get to the final four last, last year. Um, and that guy didn't really ever emerge. Um, well, and a huge part of the problem um, was not like, okay, so defensively, Cody Riley was never going to be like uh, an elite top tier defender. I think in the NCAA tournament last year, I think he rose to the level of like above average. He played pretty well defensively yeah. last year. But it wasn't, um, he's not, he was never going to be Jalen Hill last year, and he was never probably going to be Miles Johnson this year. But he had to make up for it with his offense. And like, not like, because this isn't a knocking Cody Riley thing. He just, he really didn't shoot the ball well um, this year. Um, after, I think it was in February, uh, since February, since the start of February, he shot the ball, I think it was 35% um, was his shooting. And for a guy who's a post player to shoot that poorly is really, really, really tough to, tough to handle as a team. Like you yeah. can't. You can't get that low efficiency from post-ups. Um, and his kind of rainbow jumper uh, fell off pretty drastically as well. Um, so there was there was a, there was really diminishing returns. And it makes sense that um, Cronin, based on his history, wanted to see if that would eventually, you know, uh, 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 progression to the mean. Um, you know, get him back to his, his level before. Because in January, he was better. I mean, if you remember that Arizona game at home... He was scoring on Coloco um, with a bunch of, like, kind of Jaime Hawkins old man moves. Um, and then that just kind of dropped off. Um, so, yeah, so the Cody Riley over Miles Johnson thing, I mean, we've believed that quite a bit. I think that's, like, the one where you're like, that that minute allocation should have been drastically different. The other piece, which is, um, you know, what lineups might key a run. Because that's what I was looking for in this game. Because um, it's kind of game-specific. With North Carolina... It felt like UCLA had a five or eight or an eight point lead or a five or a six point lead so many different times and then just couldn't get over the hump to make it actually something that puts some pressure on Carolina, where yeah. it's a 10 point lead or an 11 point lead. And defense is what keys those sorts of runs. Especially uh, with this team this year. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just the, the unfortunate thing is I think in the first half, Miles Johnson, Peyton Watson and Jalen Clark come in. And then on the first play, after they force a steal, but on the first play, Clark kicks it ahead to Peyton Watson, who's yeah. not expecting the ball, doesn't catch it cleanly, falls out of bounds. And I think at that point, Cronin's thinking, well, I can't have these guys making these kinds of mistakes in this game. I've got a value possession. Um, 
So he, I think he, he might have taken Clark out right then, um, and then left Watson in for another couple more plays. Yeah, Clark came out. Yeah, but it was, it was, um, they, they again, they never saw the uh, the the court again uh, together until the end of the game. Um, yeah, and it's just if that play had gone differently, does the entire complexion of the game change? Because it felt like the plan right then was to okay, let's force a run with defense. Yeah, um, and then it just you know, mistakes were made. <laughs> yeah. And uh, getting back to kind of what I was saying, we're talking about, we're nitpicking and it was a very important game clearly. And we made that clear at the, at the beginning of this podcast. Um, but if you break down other coaches and everything that they do, what they, all of those different criteria I brought, I, I brought up, there aren't too many coaches that check those, boxes that we've seen at UCLA and if if you everyone looks at a different coach from a different program and says well he's really good man if you if we had the scrutiny on those guys that we give the UCLA coaches we would be nitpicking them to to death I mean I watched a few of these teams right now I I mean Purdue that might have been one of their best seasons in 15 years Purdue fans are calling for Matt Painter to be fired. <laughs> I, I, I mean, not that he shouldn't be. I'm, I'm kind of with him, to be honest. Yeah, not that he shouldn't be. I'm just saying, though, you can. that's the perfect illustration. There's so many things wrong worse. There's so many other coaches who don't even come close to what Mick Cronin, his quality of coaching. Will he make some mistakes in our eyes? Maybe not even in his, or maybe there are other better basketball minds out there who would side with the choices he made in this game. We don't, but that doesn't mean we... I can't come up with another coach that I can think of off the top of my head that I would want right now at UCLA at this moment. And so much of it is about coming into the UCLA job and whether you are an up-and-coming coach or whether you're a proven coach. And being at, UC, being at any new program has its impact and its effect on you. We've seen what UCLA can do to coaches. Some coaches, you know, can get settled and just lose that fire. And as you and I have said in the past, that's one of the biggest factors. If you don't have that competitive fire you're just not going to win. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. If UCLA had hired John Calipari, I just don't see a competitive fire there. I see him with his feet up on his Malibu uh, patio of his Malibu beach house and mailing it in and recruiting. I mean, it, it's his retirement job. Um, we've seen that happen. I, I, Mick Cronin, whether he makes it in all of our fans' eyes, if he makes a, a tactical mistake here or there he has that we know he has that fire we, yeah do you think he slept no no, no god no he, he watched yeah. the game probably three times already um yeah uh no it, that's the thing is i mean it's what i wrote after uh god what was it the the six road games or whatever in in 10 days where they lost one game and it's like well yeah, we're all bitching about them losing the Oregon game, but they just went five and one in like this insane stretch of games, um, improved their, you know, net rating in that time. Um, and we're all sitting here bitching and it's like, well, he's, it's the, it's the curse of the successful UCLA coach, right? 
Yeah. You've you've done enough now that you've kind of awakened the sense of entitlement in the fan base and not just in the fans. You've 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 awakened it in in, in me because um, I, I wouldn't have cared this much about I certainly didn't care this much about any of Steve Alford's Sweet 16 losses because no. it, it's, it didn't seem like it mattered to anyone else either. Um, yeah. This this obviously mattered. I mean, when you saw, like, there was a great, I mean, not great, it was heartbreaking, but Jaime, um, they showed his face right as the buzzer sounded or, like, right as, I don't know, it might have been, like, the the moment when it was obvious that there was no coming back from it. And it was just this look of utter disbelief on his face, um, yeah. which, like, just this, like, huh, wait, we're really not going to win this game. Um, yeah. And it yeah. was, like, they're so, they are so, um I don't know, just they're so full of belief that they're going to win these games. And that comes from, you know, the confidence of a coaching staff that has kind of instilled that in them. Um, so it's it, that, and that's the that's the hard part is that it does. You know, you, you do sit there and you nitpick and you kind of try to figure out, well, this kind of uh, game. And as we talked about, I mean, it was a huge opportunity, um, which uh, spotlights the the sore spots. You know, if it, if it was if it was, oh, they have to they would have beaten North Carolina and then would have had to face Gonzaga again or something. Then it would be like, well, was it really that much of a missed opportunity? Would they have just been blown out in the elite eight? Um, but it wasn't that it was sweet. It was St. Peter's after this. And then it was, you know, see if you can knock off coach K in the final four. Um, so it was that missed opportunity. And then you do look at it and you say, well, what led to that? And this game, I mean, in my opinion, this game, it, it did come down in large part to, you know, these kind like of six more, issues. six more minutes. Yeah, literally like, but that's, that's what it is. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it sounds insane on the surface that you're just like complaining about this thing, but it's because of the magnitude of the event. Well, here's the other thing too. Um, moving, looking down the line, moving forward. Uh, well, for one thing, let's just dwell on the personnel on this team for a second. It's a unique roster. There are guys he inherited from Steve Alford. And then on top of it, he had the opportunity to get Johnny Juzang, who is, you know, a prolific scorer. That combination made for this dichotomy of a team where you've got the scorers and you got the defensive players. You, you don't really have the guys. I mean, Jaime Hawkes is a good Defender, not incredible, but good. And obviously he's turned into a great offensive weapon. But your defenders on this team, where you put them out on the court, who were the guys who clearly upgraded UCLA's defense, were Miles Johnson, not an offensive player. Jalen Clark, who's developing into an offensive player, but a great defensive player, but still not quite there offensively. And Peyton Watson. Who's way too mistake prone. He's got some assets offensively, but nothing reliable at this point. So... And then on the other hand, you've got um, the guys you inherited. You've got Cody Riley, and then the and Johnny Juzang. Moving forward, I don't think he's going to have this type of roster. Most of the guys that they've been recruiting in the last since they've been at UCLA, and that they're bringing in, coming in. <laughs> for uh, 2022 and the guys that they will target in 2023 are going to have minimum athleticism of a pretty high level of athleticism as a minimum. They, there aren't going to be any, 
I would be stunned if they brought in a Cody Riley. Stunned. I would think they would look at Cody Riley now and not recruit him. Knowing nothing against Cody Riley, I have so much respect for that kid. Uh, just worked his ass off, got so much out of his talent. Uh, personally, I know he's a hard worker, a warrior, a gym rat, is in school, isn't a natural student, and has gutted that out. A lot of respect for the kid. But they aren't going to take an un uh, uh, they are going to take an uh, an athletic post moving forward i'd be stunned unless the guy's 74 like the guy from purdue right that, yeah, that if, would be if you about can go it. get thomas welsh who's going to score a bunch um out of that position in kind of interesting ways then you take him but otherwise athletes right everyone's going to be athletic uh, I, there aren't i i would be stunned if they, for one thing, Johnny Juzang is a is a unique player. He was a unique recruit too, because he could always fill it up and he could always shoot. But you looked at him and said he's not an athlete. Like when he went to Kentucky, I thought that was a stretch. Um, I don't think they'll ever get those kind of guys. They are going to be able to almost always put on the floor an athletic, defensive-minded. Team. And let me put so, so I don't think Cronin will is ever going to have whether he made a mistake or whatever we're judging. I don't think he'll ever have this kind of situation to make this mistake again. And let me point. <laughs> or some, I didn't want to call it a mistake. No, uh, throw that word out. Let just, me point something yeah. out because I think this needs to be said because everything you just said is in, in, incredibly valid and true. All this team of non-athletes or these the starting group of non-athletes and. Uh, fine defenders. The, something Ben Howland wouldn't have been able to do is get a top 15 defense out of this group. Um, yeah. Mick Cronin, the style of defense that he is going for is different from the Ben Howland style, but it's analytically based. Um, like he's doing things with scouting and with taking away things that are efficiency-based um, that are just different from the way Ben Howland coached defense. I mean, Ben Howland coached defense, it was, we do our thing defensively. We're going we're gonna to hedge the hell out of ball screens. We're going to double your post if you've got a good post. Um, you know, they, they, they had, and it was man-to-man. -man. We're never doing anything even remotely divergent from man-to-man. -man. And it's not that Cronin, Cronin's a man-to-man -man guy mostly, but there's elements of that man-to-man -man defense that he plays that sometimes does look like a zone. Like, they're sometimes doing a little bit it's different a, It's stuff. a pack line. Yeah. It looks like a zone sometimes. But yeah. it's smart, and it's a smart way to coach defense with non-athletes. And he was able to generate a top 15 efficiency defense with basically mostly non-athletes playing the bulk of the minutes. Yeah. Um, that's incredible. Um, and I think that's something that, look— did it frustrate a lot of us that Jalen Clark, Miles Johnson, and Peyton Watson weren't playing more here at the end? Yes. But looking at what he was looking at, which is I'm able to get a top 15 defense right now, and I, we're going to need scoring. Like, it does – it makes a kind of sense. Now, it didn't make a lot of game sense to me, but I'm, I'm an idiot watching on the couch. Um. So, anyway. I, Look at the type of recruits he's brought in. Just Let's just list them. Jalen Clark – and Jalen Clark was a guy that they added toward the end of the cycle. Right. Right? Um, Peyton Watson. But that is the kind of minimum 
I mean, athleticism plus, but, you know, okay, that's a guy who they finally decided, yeah, we'll take him. Right. Mac Eddian, who is an athletic six nine and a half guy. Yep. Very athletic. Can move his feet, can move, get second second oh, yeah, jump. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's one of those guys. Um, then, uh, you know, Peyton Watson, athlete plus. Will McClendon is going to surprise you a little. I know. He's kind of thickish. Yeah. But he moves well, and he's strong. Um, he's he'll surprise you. And then, I mean, you know, we're talking uh, Amari Bailey. I don't know if anyone watched <laughs> the McDonald's All American. Uh, they had a scrimmage. He he was one of the standouts. If you did watch that, here's an aside. All good news. Uh, plenty of tweets from people who watch from scouts and said Amari Bailey and named three or four guys who stood out. And the other one with a lot of NBA scouts in the gym said, no one stood out as a clear one and done. So good news there. But Amari Bailey, Adem Bona, who I'm just, I'm going to come out and say is, is going to be, is the best athlete of any of the guys he's signed so far, even better than Peyton Watson. Because this guy is a six nine, six nine and a half post player who's going to be able to move his feet like a wing, so they'll be able to switch. Dylan Andrews is a good, not incredible, but a good athlete, and he's a six three point guard, so he uses his size well to defend. These are all the types of guys they're going to be getting in twenty twenty three. Dusty Stromer is looking like the local kid <laughs> that that they are uh, looking good for right now, let's say. Um, a great, I'd say, better better than just good, a great athlete. He's really skinny, but man, he is, he is so quick. Especially like offensively, off the dribble, his first step, just really impressive. So these, I can't, I know what they're looking for, and I know there are guys out there that they just said, nope, not athletic enough. And so going forward, they're going to bring in athletes that can defend. I would be stunned who are tough. I would be stunned if there's anything else. The one thing would be if someone comes from Southern California and he just is a prolific shooter and isn't a great athlete... <laughs> Or and doesn't play defense, whether they will be compelled to take that kid. But the rest of the team will be loaded roster of defenders and will make up for that guy. Yeah, you fit one of those guys in and it's fine. Um and I, I think that's the part of the 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 discussion that's driving me a little bit insane on our message board is the people who are doing just nothing but Howland comparisons. And I understand because we only have like one frame of reference, um, because we're all myopic and stupid at heart. We just are. We're 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 sports people. But this isn't a Howland situation. Um, it's not like he's going out and like, oh, I, I'm, I'm just going to go recruit three-point shooters. It's almost a reverse. It's, it's almost like a, a Benjamin Button situation. Because right now he has the roster that Howland was like kind of building towards where it was like, you know, we're going to prioritize some offense. But it's what he was dealt, more or less. Um, the roster that's going to be coming is going to take care of... Uh, I think to a large extent, it's going to take care of the perceived issues that a lot of us have with these last few games, because you're going to have guys, to your point, who have that plus athleticism, 
who also are pretty good offensive options. Um, yeah. But they're not going to be guys on the court. Like, I mean, a, a Johnny Juzang, to your point, might be the kind of guy they take in the future. He was a local kid, and he's, you know, not necessarily an athlete, but he can fill it up. Um, but they also might not. Um, and I think they will feel, if they can get it rolling a little bit here, I think a big thing. So maybe we transition right here into roster um, going forward because I think a big, huge priority for Mick Cronin right now more than recruiting 2023 right now is re-recruiting some of these guys on the roster who are not going to the NBA, but making sure they stay in the program. And my, my big priorities would be for him, Peyton Watson, Jalen Clark. Yeah. And keep them in the fold. Yeah. And um, people are panicking on the forum and just thinking that they're going to leave because they were disappointed. Because they're time. frustrated with their playing time. Uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Absolutely, maybe that's true. No, 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 I'm saying because the fans are frustrated. Yeah, the fans are. But maybe they are too. But it's almost like, you know, these kids think like business people these days. They they don't do anything out of a punitive mood. I didn't play a lot this year. Next year I'm going to start, but I'm mad. So I'm leaving. No. If they, if Jalen Clark, if if the people, if Johnny Juzang, Jules Bernard leave, Jalen Clark is going to start. I'm just saying, he's going to start. Especially if like Jaime Hawkins leaves too, but he's going to start. Um, he would, the way they, the, so far during the transfer portal, we've seen really one projected starter leave in football, and that was Jay Shaw. It doesn't, it usually doesn't happen. People don't leave who are going to start. And a lot of them, like in Jay Shaw's case, just a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of baggage, a lot of stuff under the bridge that, you know, that just couldn't be repaired. Not going to talk about it. Jalen Clark doesn't have those things. He is going to look at this and say, I've spent two years here. I know this offense. I, I showed what I can do. I'm going to be playing 28 minutes a game. And then is he going to go play? Where would he go play? Would he go play at a, does he, does he want to make the elite eight? Because if he is, he's going to have to go play at Kansas, uh, Villanova, uh, Gonzaga. And he's, he going to be pretty much see the opportunity to absolutely start at those places. No. So just from, I've heard, I haven't heard anything lately, but I had heard that he was leaning towards coming back. Uh, that it wasn't even leaning that he was coming back because there was not another option. Were all these any kind of rumor or anything about him? I haven't heard anything like that. But the way if we put, we know, I know how these kids think. And unless they have a weird Jay Shaw kind of situation, they look at playing time, opportunity. Uh, will they have to learn a new offense, a new system? Will the coach have a favorite for someone else if they go to? I would be stunned if Jalen Clark leaves. Um, Peyton Watson could be a little riskier. I haven't heard that he's leaving. There's some rumor going around on the Washington board that he's going to transfer to Washington. I don't know. I have not heard that. Maybe that's true. I don't know. It makes no logical sense to me whatsoever at all. Peyton Watson will play uh, again. He'll play, what, 27 minutes a game next year? Um, it's basically those two guys. A lot depends, I think, on Jaime leaving for them to start. Um, but 
at minimum, their role is going to be significantly bigger because, I mean, we've heard nothing to indicate that Johnny Juzang has uh, thought that he's going to return at this point. It's been pretty much a done deal that he's going to leave since before the season. Now, obviously, his stock has dropped, so who knows? But And he's making some NIL money. Right. He might think, hey, I could go play. I end up playing in Turkey, and I make 185000 or I make my NIL at UCLA. But I know that's not what he's thinking. He's... The way they think is I'm going to go get my opportunity to sign with the Atlanta Hawks and I'm going to, maybe it's a, uh, yeah, I don't get drafted. He doesn't get drafted, but he signs a contract and he's going to play himself into making that roster. That's what he's thinking. Right. Or he goes plays in Europe or whatever. But I, I, and I think Jules Bernard, it's been obvious for at least over a month now that Mick Cronin expects him to be gone. Um, That's the only one Mick Cronin said. That, yeah, that, it, it's, he it's, made that illusion. Yeah, and I think Jules has made that clear to him. Um, and I think Jaime Hawkins literally doesn't know at this point. From what I've heard, and I haven't heard anything like, you know, in the last week and a half, sorry. But from what I heard, it's it's unknown. I mean, a while back I had heard that he wanted to return. Then he went on that bend where he averaged 22 points a game. Um but it's going to come down to they'll test the waters. They'll see what the situation is, and they'll, they'll make a decision off that. But everyone's saying all these people have made decisions right now. I mean, we're all just guessing, and they don't, they don't know right. right at this point. Even if they say, let's say Jaime Hawkes believes he wants to go. Yeah, Johnny Juzang thought he was going at this point last year too, and he ended up not. So there's a lot of information they're going to gather to make a decision at a later date given what i know and given what i think will happen with jaime Hawkins, unless something really dramatically changes i think he'll return but between amari bailey uh Jalen clark peyton watson jaime Hawkins, you have 120 minutes yep. right there i i see uh, Amari Bailey, he'll be playing a lot, but he's he won't play as much, I think, as Jalen Clark and probably Peyton Watson. Um, they are all going to get a lot of minutes if that nucleus among the wings returns. A lot of minutes. Um, so I, I'm not I'm not worried about that. And then if someone leaves, I mean, I, I, Jules Bernard is one of my secret closet favorite guys on this team. Um, but if I think it's good that he leaves. It, it, I, not good. I, I think we need a, just a, a fresh start with some new guys. I am not... I think it'd be very exciting to see who UCLA could get in the transfer portal, too. Um, so, if it's the kind of guy that's going to play defense, be tough physically... And maybe be able to, to score the basket uh, basketball. I mean, that's going to be exciting. But even if not, the guys returning will get a ton of minutes. Enough to showcase their game for the NBA. And I think, so the, the transfer portal thing is going to be interesting with how, um, with how Cronin is recruiting um, at the high school level right now. Is how how you balance that because i think it was a specific situation where you could take miles johnson and not piss off anybody in the program yeah um taking a wing next year if you somehow convince peyton watson and jalen clark to come back right taking another wing who's gonna take more minutes that that that's gonna be 
that's going to be, you know, um, a doctorate level chemistry management, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think they would do that. Yeah. I don't think they would do that. I think they would take, you know, a, a, a face up four, a six, nine, four, who can put the ball on the floor and score, who doesn't take really their minutes. And that's probably if Jaime Hawkes leaves. And that's only if Jaime leaves. Because, yeah. and even then, if Jaime were to leave, and a situation is then that Clark and Watson would start, um, if you take a face-up four, um, you know, they're a four-out offense. Uh, Peyton Watson's probably playing the four. Um, wouldn't you Clark's love to probably... see – yeah, but wouldn't you love to see him, Peyton Watson, with, what, 10, 15 more uh, pounds oh, it's gonna be... of muscle? It... And then actually call some of the plays that Jaime Hawkins was oh doing. God. Let Peyton Watson take a guy, back down a guy. And, I mean, he won't have to do all that stuff. He'll just be able – if he gets within seven – Eight feet, he'll just he'll just pivot, turn, jump over, and and shoot the seven foot. Yeah, and it's basically yeah. a flat shot because he's at the rim level when he jumps. No, yeah. it's I mean it's freaky what he he's going to be able to do. I mean the leap that we all saw from Jalen Clark this off season, I mean double that for Peyton Watson. I mean he's yeah. going to have a full off season in the gym. He was finally settled down at the end of the season, like you could see it in the last couple of weeks where it was finally. You know, that that one play, I think it was was it in the Pac-12 tournament, was in Akron or whatever, where he caught the ball on the wing. He's open for the three, doesn't take the three, dribbles to the left side of the key, and just, like you just said, rises and fires from like eight feet. Makes and remember, shot. I said about a month ago in a broadcast that that was the game That's I wanted shot. to see him develop. Yeah. Yeah. And you you look at that, and it's just, um, yeah, I'm kind of with you. Like, not, I don't want anybody to leave. I mean, if they all wanted to stay forever, that'd be great. But there's some realities that have to be dealt with. And, you know, Johnny Juzang and Jules Bernard, major, major contributors to, um, you know, the resurgence of UCLA basketball. But it sounds like Jules is pretty much done and wants to move on, which makes complete sense. And it sounds like Johnny is pretty much in the same boat. And let me tell you the thing about Miles Johnson. Um not a great offensive player, as we've seen. This is my opinion, based on just some good insight. Um, Miles Johnson, when he get, you know, he kicks the ball out of the. Sometimes he's got a layup, and he'll kick the ball out. I think a lot of what that is, he is afraid of getting fouled because he's afraid of shooting free throws. He gets his free throws up to. I mean, he was starting to shoot better in the second half of the season. Way if he gets he gets his free throws up to 67, 68%, he won't be afraid of shooting free throws and he'll go up strong and go to the line. Um, if he does that, that little bit is such a game changer. Because you can I thought you could keep him on the court offensively anyways for everything he does for that offensive for UCLA's offense. Everything. But that's a little bit more evidence that will be able in Cronin's mind to keep him on the court. If he can go up, get fouled, and shoot 68% from the line. He was 10 of his last 12. There we go. Yeah. I mean, I don't even want, I, that's not going to happen. But let's just say 68 to 70%. That's a game changer right there. Yeah. Adam, Adam Bona, is, from what I know, is a good free throw. Adam Bona is a guy who's, who's not afraid. <laughs> he is going to try to finish everything. So um, he, doesn't have, he, you know, he doesn't have a game beyond... Six feet, five feet, but he's a guy, and he's going to get offensive putbacks and that whole thing. So they'll change. That's going to change uh, inside from the post of being. And Mac, we saw Mac last year. 
he had the makings of an offensive game. He had little jump hooks and, and little oh, yeah. pivots had, and stuff. He had his poor man Joachim Noah thing going on. Uh, he did. So that's a difference. That makes a huge, a huge... There's no decision to be made here between Miles Johnson and a Cody Riley type. No, it'll it'll be it'll be two it'll be two athletic defenders or three if you add at the end to the whole group. Um yeah, and it, one thing I just want to note because it, it occurred to me with the Miles Johnson thing, but also with the Jaime Hawkins thing from the free throw line and also with the Tiger Campbell thing from the three-point line. I don't think I've ever seen those kinds of weird and um sort of inexplicably great um shooting changes. And I think it speaks to the staff's willingness to kind of adjust a guy's shot, which I think a lot of coaching staffs can be reluctant to do because they don't want to destroy some kid or ruin his confidence. But I think whatever the approach they take with um, tweaking things, because with Jaime, it was, if you remember how he used to shoot free throws, like one foot was like fully like a foot behind the other one. Um, and he was kind of lining it up to just go over his right shoulder all the time. Um, yeah. And it just didn't look right out of his hand. And so then he got his feet a little bit more evenly spaced. But that was a coaching adjustment. Um, Miles Johnson's free throws drastically improved midseason. Um, and that was, I think, a coaching adjustment too. Tiger Campbell's three-point shooting is insane, what he did this year. And it was a coaching adjustment. Um, they talked about it, you know, getting a little bit more on balance when he shoots and, and getting a little bit more um, on his toes. Um, I, that's just, you know, the smart um, micro-level coaching um, that drastically improved efficiencies and did it mid-season with a couple of these guys. Um, that's that's really good. Um, yeah. Just th those kinds of things you don't often see where there's these massive improvements mid-season. Like Jaime went a stretch there where he was, uh, before the, miss the two misses, which I think you could probably attribute to some ankle soreness, um, before those, I he was hitting like 90% over his last like 10 games. It was insane. Yeah. Here's the other thing too. Um, the offense is designed uh as you can see every time it comes up coach cronin is like telling someone to go there go there do that i mean he's calling the set right but there's a lot of creativity within the set uh, the players know what they can do uh so that's that's let's just say that's the basis for the offense within that offense i thought there was a marked difference between when Johnny Juzang was playing and when he was out of game. It's not like there was an instruction for the other players. Uh, when Johnny Juzang's in, don't pass the ball. <laughs> don't rotate the ball. Don't look for cuts and don't cut away. It's just, this is, this is what happens to a team when you've got like, you know, the number one shooter and scorer and you're running screens for him, and he's going one-on-one, -on -one. and then you got Jaime Hawkes who's moving inside and with his back to the basket. I mean, that's what the offense is with Johnny. But if you notice, I thought it was a pretty marked difference when Johnny Juzang was out for those games. The offense was a lot better. Um, Jalen Clark, and you and I wrote about this a number of times, is a great team offensive player. He moves without the ball. He's a good passer. He's got good vision. He understands team offensive basketball. He, he'll go one-on-one -on -one when he has a real opportunity, but he doesn't. He didn't force it this year. Um, 
they're a different team. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I'm, it's my roundabout way of saying that I think they'll be better offensively without Johnny Juzang. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, I think it was a, it was a um, situation of necessity. And obviously Juzang was a huge contributor to that final four team, but you play Jalen Clark and Peyton Watson more. You might have a few more mistakes, maybe, though I, I would say, and I would point out, uh, Jalen Clark, for whatever perception you may have of him, he had a lower turnover rate than all but one other major rotational player, and that was Jules Bernard. Um, yeah. He had the second lowest uh, turnover rate among the major rotational players. Uh, Peyton Watson was a turnover machine, but so is literally every freshman ever. Um those two guys are unselfish. Um, you know, Peyton Watson had his moments, but it was only on the break where he was really like zeroing in on the hoop. And I think it was just because he didn't want to turn it over. Um, but he's an unselfish player. He wants to kick it out. He wants to pass. Jalen Clark's an unselfish player. He wants to kick it out. He wants to pass. Um, and I think that's what this offense sort of demands. It's why, you know, for the longest time we were banging the David Singleton drum too, because Singleton um, for all his, you know, he's not going to make risky passes. So he's also not going to make electric passes. Um, and he's, you know, only going to shoot when he's wide open. And so there's a, there's a limitation to when he's out there, but he always moves the ball. And it's just, again, it's just observation, but this offense looks a lot better when there's guys out there who are moving the ball. Um, Singleton's an interesting, I'm glad we brought him up. Uh, a while back I had heard that he wanted to return. Cronin even said, pretty much implied that he was returning. And then within that same day or something, Singleton said he's not certain. Then he put out some cryptic tweets. I don't know. And then he didn't play in this game. I mean, he really didn't play in the last month of the season. So yeah. if you go back and look at his minutes, um, he was – he so he had double-digit minutes in every game from January 2nd to February 28th. And I would say just eyeballing it, he was averaging over 20 in that time. And then it was the USC game. He had 10. And then it was 6, 9, 4, 6, 7, and 0. Um, so he was definitely um, cut in the rotation significantly once they got to postseason play. Um, now, I don't – I don't with Amari Bailey and Jalen Clark and Payne Watson, I, I wouldn't see him starting next no. year. But, but he would have a bigger role next year than we've seen him over the last couple of years because he's – the team that he's been on, he's a veteran, but yeah, you've got Jules Bernard, Johnny Juzang. I mean, you've got veterans. He's going to be the veteran guy that I think Cronin will want to opt for in a game just to bring some stability. Know he's going to. Coaches are very much about putting the guy on the court that he has faith that he's going to know what to do. He's not going to make a mental mistake. He's not going to fall asleep. He he knows the he knows what the coach wants of him and knows where to be position-wise. That's David Singleton. I think he's going to be a little bit of a crutch for Cronin next year if he returns. I haven't heard anything new. I mean, it's been kind of mysterious and then he didn't get all the play, you know, didn't get any playing time. So, whether he returns will be interesting too. Yeah, and that's, um, you know, I think uh, if you're looking at uh, maybe an issue next year if Jules Bernard and uh, and Johnny both leave, it's um, shooting. Um, they're not going to have, you know, because Johnny, for all, um, you know, the high-volume natures of his game, he was a 36% shooter from three this year. Um, Jules Bernard took a lot of threes. He was he was hotter at the end. He got back up to, like, I think 33%. Um, 
But before that, he was a 39% shooter last year. So they're going to, unless Jalen Clark or Peyton Watson, if they both return, uh, unless they develop a really great three-point shot, a lot's going to rely on Tiger Campbell spacing the floor um, with his three-point shooting. If Jaime returns, him returning to more of a 38-plus percent shooter, which he might if his ankles are healthy. Um, and then Amari Bailey. Um, but it's not going to be as um, reliable, um, I think, outside as, as it was um, this year and last year. And the thing is, we're, obviously, we are David Singleton fans. Where would he go? He's got his super senior year. On, on what program where he'd go in and know he would play a bigger role than at UCLA next year? He'd have to drop down a level, I think. He'd have to drop down a level to a mid-major. Yeah, it would have to be. He would. I think he would play. You know, a lot of people say it about Jake Kyman. I think David Singleton has shown enough that he probably would um, start at quite a few Mountain West. I don't like at the top top tier, um, but I think he could probably walk in and start at like middling Mountain West and middling WAC or WCC. Uh, the problem is, is that really what he wants to do with his fifth year? Um, you know, go play in games that don't really matter. Yeah, exactly. Because um, he's not. I mean, because. Uh, we love David Singleton. He's not an NBA guy. Um, and, and here's the other thing, too. From what I've heard, Singleton wouldn't mind ended up being a coach. And from what I've heard, he has the, that kind of ability that you could project him as being a coach. It would only help him to stay with Cronin for his super senior year, and then Cronin takes him on on the staff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that would be, that would be kind of a fitting end for him because um, – you know, I think he loves UCLA, and I think he loves being at the school. So, yeah, I don't think – I mean, I think he could transfer to go just play more in his last year because, you know, I mean, if you just want to play more basketball and you want to play more than you're playing, okay, that's fine. But if you want to be part of something that's going to potentially, you know, make a run, you'd probably want to stay where you are. Um, so, but, I mean, priorities can differ. And I think, you know, again, we love Singleton. Um, the – if, if he decides to move on, it's not the end of the world for UCLA by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Um, so he It could, is for us, though. It is for us. I mean, David Singleton Report Online is going to need a new name if he decides to move on. I'm, gonna, I'm just going been, to... I've been paying for that domain for like two years. No, I, I haven't. I get it. I get it. Okay, uh, okay, really fast. We've been doing this for a long time, Dave. So we've been talking... Let's just... Really fast. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about basketball. I could talk about this basketball program forever, Tracy. Spring football starts on Tuesday. Woohoo! Spring football! Hell yeah! Let's go! Honestly, spring football, uh, let's let's give some credit here. There are other programs that aren't allowing the media or fans to watch. No, UCLA is opening it up this year, Lucy Goosey Chip Kelly. Is I'm, letting, I'm letting everyone watch. I'm not even being facetious right now, Tracy. I'm kind of excited. I'm. That's what I'm saying. I'm kind of excited. I, for one thing, it's it's really fun to go out in spring and start and look at these guys that you haven't seen in any spring, but we haven't seen them for uh, two years. Tracy, there are guys this on this be, team that I have never really watched. This is going to be my program. first time watching. Open-ish UCLA football practices in six seasons. That's craziness. Yeah, dude. But my my last two experiences were both like walking in the fence and watching like fifteen minutes of warmups. Like if Quentin Somerville walks out on the 
I'll be you like, know, who's that guy? You'd have no idea yeah. who that was. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be like my first year covering it again because I'm going to have to be like, wait, which number is that? Oh, no. Who's that? It's going to be fun. It's going to be But stressful. that's fun. I love it. That's, that's fun to yeah. do that. Yeah. Okay. No, it's going to be great. I'm going to write uh, like 1,200 word practice reports again. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to those. Oh, it's going to be great. Plus, plus, you know, here's the thing. I, let's just confess because no one's listening. Everyone turned it off now. Yeah, true. Um, we knew the Murphy twins were coming. We just screwed with y'all. It was just fun. We like yeah. screwing with you. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So UCLA, they've got some impact transfers coming in. Look, I'm, I'm turning positive, baby, because it's spring football. It's open. We're going to see some stuff. We're going to see Darius Muasau and see if he can be like that guy on I mean, the right there. That's so much fun, Dave. We're going to go out there and watch that dude. It's. Usually spring practice. Well, and we're going to see, like, because how many times have we talked about when you first saw Eric Kendricks and it's like, oh, he's just tackling everyone in practice. So he's going to be an amazing player. Maybe he does that. Maybe Darius is that guy. And we can just say, oh, yeah, okay. They've got that checked off the, they've got that box checked. Like I've heard some things about Jake Bobo. Like he's very impressive. Just looking at him running routes and stuff. Very, very impressive. Want to see? Want to see that dude? I want to see, see Col- twins. Are they just going to disrupt everything like Anthony Barr out there? Like- I want to see Colson Yankov. We have, I haven't even seen him as a receiver. Right. <laughs> and so you, the fan, you, the fan out there, I'm, I'm pretty sure. The, uh, I don't want to speak out of turn, but these are open from the lot, right? Like fans can these come and open open from lot A. You just have to adhere to the campus COVID policy, which is you know if you can stay six feet away from each other, which we everyone does anyway. Um, but yeah, lot eight. You were up there in lot eight again, and it's supposed to be nice weather this week. Everyone, come, come on out. You can. You, can you see that I'm waving everyone to come out? I, right I saw it. I saw it in your voice. I, I mean, it, this will be fun. There are so I could laundry list a good conservative twenty five guys that we have not. Like people ask us, remember when we used to when we used to do off season reports on all the guys on the scout team. <laughs> Like here's the thing. Here's the Remember thing. Remember when you said after signing day, Dave? Then we used to do a report because we right. didn't want to disrupt UCLA recruiting right. for who was but here's on the, the thing. on here's the depth chart. The last few years of Mora, we had to fudge it a little bit because they didn't open up practices during the season, but they still opened up spring and fall camp, so we got a good enough read that we could still do it. And then they would often open up bowl practices, so you'd be able to see them in the spring. You would see them in fall camp, and then you would see them in bowl practices, which was enough to do a scout team report. We haven't got – like, spring wasn't even open the last two years. Am I correct about that? Uh, yeah, uh, it was open – For 20 minutes. Last year, 20 minutes. Right. Year before – It was COVID. Year before it was COVID, year before it was open, and we but we couldn't take – and we can't take video. We can only take video in the first 20 minutes. Remember when we used to do all those one-on-ones? Yeah, yeah. we can't do that, but I'm fine. That's I'm fine. fine. That's fine. Yeah, you can write I'm about fine. it, and that's all that matters. And um, just the running backs. I have not seen Dacia Morrell. I've seen him run through some pads a couple of times. Well, and I, I, I think Christian can... Greg, Tamario Harden, the sign, he's going to be in spring practice. Well, and I that's mean, like, I'll take people behind the curtain right now. Those, those spring previews I'm writing? Yeah. I feel like half an idiot when I'm writing about some of these guys, because I'm like, I literally the last I saw of this guy was high school, like high school highlights, um, because we haven't seen him now in two years because we haven't been able to watch practices. Yeah. So it's like 
I'm basing this off of our, our our impressions and also like what we may have heard in the program, but not based on our own eyeballs. And often our eyeballs differ from stuff we hear within the program. So yeah, it's you know that's we, kind of a common occurrence. Yeah, over the years. Yes, and so <laughs> it's always helpful when we can finally lay eyes on guys and say, oh, oh, that guy's actually a lot better than we're hearing. Because I mean, think about how many guys over the years like just. Just from watching games, everyone on the board with working eyeballs can tell, hey, Carl Jones, that guy should be playing more. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of thing where, well, that's certainly something that's discordant between what's happening and what you're seeing. But that happens in practice, too. And it might yeah. not be a playing time thing, but it might be they're not as high on that guy as they should be because he's pretty good. Um, yeah. and but like Devin Apiu, yeah. we, we, uh, he transferred in at the last possible moment. We literally just watched him in a practice jersey walk around. Then suddenly he's playing last year on a pretty on a pretty deep defensive line. He was that good. Now we're going to actually see the dude at spring practice. So this is all it's this fun. is all great. This is all great fun. This is like I'll just go out and say I think after they beat LSU, we were excited. But this is. In the last couple of years, this is the second most excited I've been. And we don't have to live down that the Murphys went to Penn State. UCLA won a recruiting battle against Penn State. Yes. Yes, they fended off Penn State at the 11th hour. That's That's something. And if you listened, if you read what Penn State was happening with recruiting, they 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 kind of screwed the pooch on it. I mean, they didn't didn't have them admitted academically? I, I mean... Wow, so the Murphys... Well, it's, pretty, it's Penn State. I mean, you're talking about a really, really strong academic program over there. Okay, not to disparage, but even if they're just any... Uh, UCLA, which is tough to get academically cleared as a high school student, a transfer, very much grad, a grad student, they were cleared. They were admitted. So Penn State dragging your feet, getting them admitted... To the point where the Murphys are saying, okay, what if there's some weird thing where we don't get him? We turn down UCLA, spring practice starts at UCLA, we don't go. And then we decide to go to Penn State and Penn State doesn't admit us for some weird thing on our transcripts from North Texas. Well, it's, now, one, thing, I, it's one thing to get into a mediocre university like UCLA. And it's another thing to get into the number 63 university in the country, Penn wow, State. Wow, look at you. I love the way you just do not back away from getting potentially, you know, let's just say harassed online. I don't care. You know, I just go, I both, I'm just, I'm, I'm a, I'm just going straight forward. You know, if any of you UCLA fans out there know a Penn state fan, tell them to listen. Well, we're probably what about a an hour and five. Listen to the pod. Tell them. Do they get your podcasts Penn State there? fans. Oh gosh, to keep listening in to cent- this moment. In Central PA. Do they get <laughs> and, podcasts? And get them all. The Penn State fans pissed off. Not at Tracy Pearson. At Dave Woods. Yeah, yeah. Go. Dave uh, Woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get all, get them all listening while they're going cow tipping. Oh, keep going. Just you, you know what? One more, just to finish them off. Go ahead. <laughs> I got nothing else. I got really. Nothing else. I really? don't know enough about Central PA. Except it looks like um, Ohio. <laughs> that would be on a good day. Um, okay, so general excitement here. I, you know what? I think we've lifted our spirits. 
I think we have. Honestly, like, I was really down yesterday. Um, and then this morning, I was just kind of like, eh, whatever. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, things are still good. Like, look, we're all, we're all nitpicking a tactical choice, but program's on great footing. I, I mean, and let's just, let's just, next year, the basketball team, uh, there's going to be a lot of talent on that team. There just is. There's going to be a lot it's of talent. Be a really if, good team again. Like yeah. this thing, it's like a, a window closed. The the specific window for this season, but the window for the Mick Cronin era, wide as can be. Yeah, I mean, in USC's USC is going to turn at Oregon because they're losing a bunch of guys to the transport. Or they're going to try to bring in a bunch of guys to transport and hope it all meshes. Uh, I mean, you have to think who goes pro at Arizona. Well. Uh, no, Math- Matherin. Yeah, Matherin. Uh, who else? Tabellus? Does Tabellus go? Maybe? Maybe. He's an, he's an NBA player. Yeah, there's talk that Dale and Terry could because he's also, you know. Dale and Terry's good. Yeah. He's, he's, the, good, guy, he's the guy I would really like to leave because he's really good um, and he can actually back up his shit talking. Um, I, I mean, want, I, I want think Kerr. I want Kerr. Uh, Kerr. Uh, Kerr Kreesa. I mean, I want him to stay for NBA seven to eight player, years. but maybe you should stay one more year just to refine those skills. Yeah, yeah. Maybe okay. stay for like three more years um, <laughs> and just, just you know, make sure you're really, really good before you leave. <laughs> so, I mean, what are they going to have? Arizona. They'll I, be good. I, I think they'll do well in the transfer portal. Um, yeah. Like, they'll be good. They're just not going to be um, what they were this year. Um, I think I, it's going to be more of a reflection of Tommy Lloyd's coaching next year, whether they can uh, actually contend for the Pac-12. Matherin, Tabellis, and Coloco. That, that's an NBA front line. That, I mean, there were so many times when I was watching them. Ball goes up just clanks off the backboard and they're just these three NBA guys swarming around the ball and the other team had no chance. So I'm telling you, it's UCLA is going to have an advantage personnel wise. Uh, let's just Amari Bailey again. Amari Bailey's really good. He's a combo guard. He has very good vision, passing ability, He's a, if you're talking about unselfishness, like with Jalen Clark and Peyton Watson, Amari Bailey is an unselfish player and he's a good shooter. And he'll, I've seen him play great defense and he has the athleticism and body to be a good defender. It's, it's going to be a good team, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then Adem Bona, that's our guy. That's our guy. We've got, I mean, we got to get him on it. We got to get him on a podcast. We got to get him. We got to get him. I can't believe I just said that. You can't promise and then not deliver. So we can't get an inbound. I mean, we might be able to. <laughs> okay, Dave. We're, we're probably not going to, but we might be able to. Okay, then I think that's what you should work on. We'll see. Okay, so we'll see you out at Lot 8. We'll see all of you out at Lot 8 uh, for Tracy Pearson. I'm Dave Woods. I hope we've made your Monday a little less gloomy, and we'll talk to you again next time. I'm feeling all cheered up. We'll see you guys later.